1: Welcome, welcome. This is Ken Roshaner and Amplified Voice America, and we have a great show for you. We are just at the Leadership Summit America, and we have met a wonderful guest and speaker and a person who's just created a lot of cool stuff in the world and in his life. So we're going to hear about his journey and all the good wisdom he can embark on us. And then I'm with my producer, Andre Adams Miller with the Red Carpet Connection. How are you doing?
2: I'm wonderful. It seems like so many days ago that we were with David. I have been on the road. I have was in uh, Vegas uh, since we met and um, uh, also I'm in St. George, Utah and I've had a a whole weekend retreat with Solicious, with Natalie Bushnell and uh, also had a Spice launch which is a new networking group to have heart-centered entrepreneurs get together uh, for their launch in St. George for a new chapter. It's kind of like a BNI, just structured a little differently so things have been really moving and shaking
1: and you said that's St. George W. Bush that's pretty cool awesome
2: yeah St. George W. Bush Utah that's exactly where we are
1: (laughs) all right well cool well we had the pleasure of being at uh, an amazing event uh, with Sharon Bernstein with uh, good old Leadership Summit America and met David so let's uh, give a bio for David and bring him on
2: Absolutely. So David Patterson, he's not only a writer, a professional stuntman, a producer of film and television. Um, he also serves on the Savannah Gold Coast and Big Apple Film Festivals, at, um, Festivals advisory boards. And his very first film, Love Ludlow, premiered in, at the Sundance Film Festival as the first independent film to use sponsorship to finance and promote. And uh, it was quite exciting at the time because Roger Ebert, who is a um, well-esteemed critic, uh, declared Love Ludlow as another Sundance treasure and it was distributed through Stars and Warner Home Video. Now David also has over 12 plays published through Samuel French and he is the only playwright in American theater history that premiered three different New York stage plays in one month and he's also served as a panelist for numerous film festivals abroad and all over the U.S. and he lectures at colleges and universities and writer symposiums, and his films have um, been at Sundance, Tribeca, and Palm Springs Film Festivals, and they have screened, um, all his films have screened at over 100 plus uh, festivals worldwide, and he wrote and produced the Disney hit The Bridge to Terabithia, and his recent film, uh, The Great Gilly Hopkins, uh, starred Glenn Close, Octavia Spencer, Kathy Bates, and Julia Stiles. And his mom, actually, is the one who wrote The Bridge to Terabithia. So, so excited to have you, David. You were so much fun to be with. David Patterson, yay!
3: Hey, David. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I guess the one thing we also need to add is that uh, I was a stay-at-home dad for 23 years, uh, which you can't physically see me, but as I explained to people, I was six foot nine before I decided to take care of the kids. I'm
1: currently five eight, so it does whittle you down over the years. <laughs> so, has anyone ever uh, called you an underachiever? That's what I'm curious about. <laughs> no, but uh, what I do tell people all the time when I go through my my whole wrangling of
3: of jobs is I I tell people I've never had a real job. I've just had hundreds. So. <laughs> So I've ne- never had one of those office gigs, which I know can uh, be both taxing and rewarding. But uh, being your own boss, oh well, I have been married for 30 years, so I can't really say I'm my own boss. But, yeah, it's, uh, I've, <laughs> no. I've, I've covered a lot of territory
1: over the years. <laughs> so 23 years as a dad. Now, you were working during that time as well. or I mean, I know you were yeah. already working when you were a dad, but, I mean, you were doing, juggling all kinds of stuff. So what was that like?
3: Well, like I said, I told my wife, um, I got her through law school, so she owes me big time. She'll never get rid of me for that, because she owes me so much
1: for that. But
3: um, I was an actor and a stuntman. Hey, you know what?
1: I was just thinking she could go light on you if she sued you. That would be a way of kind of paying it back.
3: Yeah, but my income is far smaller than hers, so yeah, I, don't, I think she'll just let, let that go. Um, <laughs> okay.
2: the, but go uh, It'll be a settlement. Yeah, so
3: I, I had a small role on a soap opera, and uh, when I say small roll, it was uh, called a U5, which meant I never got more than five lines. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, I'd get a script with six lines, and then some mm-hmm. bean counter would come down from the control booth and tell me to drop one line or, and then combine two with a comma, so they would just make sure. And the reason for that is it would be a union jump to go up to six lines. It would become a day player, and then you could never go back. So I had dreams and fantasies of getting six lines, but I never got it. So when I told my wife I'd be willing to stay home and raise the children, she's like, well, what about that great romantic job as a uh, soap star? I said, well, honey, because of my limitations of lines, I'm probably never going to shoot anyone or sleep with anyone or kill anyone or become a great romantic guy or a bad guy, so I think I can take care of the kids. How difficult could that
1: be? And
3: uh, <laughs> I soon learned that, yeah,
1: it can be rather difficult to do that. Well, let's let's give some uh, praise to our wonderful Sharon Bernstein for the vision of creating the American Summit, uh, the Leadership American Summit. Uh, I'm reversing it every which way. Um, is Leadership Summit America. I'm... I think I got it that time. And if I didn't, I got it right the other times. One of those times I got it because I put it in enough orders. So how long have you known uh, Sharon? Well, she has known me and I have known her since, I guess it was about
3: 1987 or 86 or 88. You know, as you get older, your memories are not nearly as good. <laughs> uh, my mother has a cottage up on Lake George and that's when she and her husband moved into the community as well. And so... Lake George is a beautiful lake in upstate New York, 32 miles long. It's actually one of the cleanest lakes in the country. And it's just a beautiful place to summer. And so she met me when I was younger, (laughs) to say the least. I think (laughs) at 88, I was in my 20s. And then uh, we just got to know each other over the years.
1: And have you done her event before?
3: No, this was the very first time. I... You guys had mentioned I lectured at a lot of um, film festivals and writers' workshops and creative symposiums, but this was the first time that I sort of went off-tangent to talk about leadership. So I was both terrified and excited
1: to see uh, how I'd do. Well, since the audience wasn't there to hear your wonderful presentation, give it a little snippet of it.
3: Well, the title was Triumph uh, Over Tragedy. And it really talked about um, the things in your life that you think might stop you cold and in other times make you want to just give up, and how you can use uh, the energy from something bad to propel you forward and, and direct your life. Um, and the other element of that is all of us in today's world, we all have our own qualifications of what a tragedy is. But you should never really try to judge what someone else's tragedy is. Uh, I, when I was starting to become a stuntman, uh, there was an event where we were going through a routine and one gentleman fell down. And I leaned over to another guy and kind of said, you know, the guy's a bit of a wuss, he should shake it off. And then I had a huge smack in the back of my head, which really sent me almost reeling. And it was my fight instructor And he turns to me and he says, don't ever judge another man's pain. You don't know what they're feeling at the moment. And that really came for me over the years to really realize that not only did I learn a moment there, but I learned a moment for the rest of my life. Because trying to judge other people and what they're going through, uh, you probably have no idea. And what you think is not a big deal can be a, a huge deal to them. And in respects to leadership, when you're running a business and you say something to maybe put someone down or put them in their place, you may be over it in two and a half seconds. But for them, it can be quite injurious. And, and they, they may hold a grudge. It may actually impact on how they behave and work. And you really need to take a moment to realize what you're saying can actually be a disadvantage to you.
1: You know that's so aligned with the keep smiling movement about how you don't know how a smile can change someone's life, which is the antithesis of what you're saying. But uh, it, it's a very similar message: is that we we just can't be where someone is, and when a smile happens or someone's nice to someone, it can also have that beautiful effect too.
3: Yeah, I, I unfortunately was unable to, to see uh, your chat, but you're absolutely right. I mean, a, a uh, smile has a lot more power than a frown. And, uh, you know, you really, you can use it to, to brighten a person's day or brighten a person's week, depending on how their lives are going at
1: that time. Sure, sure. So uh, let's just briefly uh, address that that comment about we don't know and someone's in a pain or they've gone through a, a challenge. What was, what was your challenge that really, uh, kind of pushed you back and that caused this leadership conversation to happen?
3: Well, uh, Sharon knew that, uh, my mother had written, uh, a pretty well-known book, um, especially for educators and teachers and librarians called, um, the bridge to Terabithia. Uh, what a lot of people did not know is that it was actually based on me. And, uh, when I was very, very young, I met a young lady. I was eight years old, and she was... Actually, we were both seven. And we were actually too young for, to call it love, but we were instantly smitten with each other. I was a very shy, uh, withdrawn child, and she pretty much brought out, you know, the best in me. Unfortunately, um, just nine months later, she was tragically killed. And, of course, that devastated me, my family and, of course, her family as well. My mother wrote the book more out of therapy than anything else. She really wasn't sure, A, if it would get published, or B, if anyone would want to read it, because she felt no one would understand the pain and, and stress of the families that went through, and no one would understand that unless their last name was Patterson or Hill. Uh, but her publisher uh, who read it said, no, this this book must be published. It, it addresses... Uh, not only a death, but tragedies amongst families, and it's really never been done before in a children's book. My mother decided to ask me for my permission. Now, she had changed the story. I mean, these were all fictitious characters and such, but it was based on my life. So she asked my permission to publish the book, and it's kind of crazy asking a, a nine-year-old how to direct the rest of your potential life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I said yes. I said, but you have the dedication all wrong. You have it dedicated to me, but this book is about my friend Lisa. And so my mother realized that that was the case, and so the book was dedicated uh, to both of us. Uh, flash forward a year later, I wins the, uh, the Newbery Award, and, you know, you can't keep it on the shelves. And it, it does incredibly well, incredibly well. Um, However, it it had a completely different effect on me. Uh, You know, my mother was getting to become well-known. Suddenly, I was no longer wearing my brother's shoes or my sister's pants. Uh, We were no longer drinking powdered milk. We were actually eating meat four or five times a week as opposed to one or two times a week. My dad got a newer used car, and the only thing I had to do was kill my best friend. Now, that yeah. may seem harsh to an adult, but when you're 10 years old, <laughs> you think that way. And so I was very, very ashamed of the success of the book. I really told none, none of my friends about it as the years progressed. In fact, my wife, who uh, we had been together for over 18 months, when... I mentioned casually that my mother was a writer and and wrote this book, and of course it was a book that she had read, that she had loved, (laughs) and she asked me, why did you tell me about that? And I said, because it still hurts, and it's not something that I need to share and certainly not brag about. What turned the corner was really, it took place over several years. Uh, The more and more uh, the book gained notoriety, the more people that I heard helped them. And then when I began to share it on my own, people would talk about what a wonderful book, what a wonderful time in their life to read it and helped guide their directions in life. I realized that, you know, this wasn't a curse uh, that I've been carrying all these years. It was something that could be shared with others to their benefit. And I realized that, Lisa's death wasn't a curse. Her presence was a gift. And I explained to a lot of people, a gift really can be interpreted in two ways. It can be temporary, like a rainbow or a rose, or it can be permanent, like a diamond. And in fact, Lisa's life was both. Because although she was here for just a short period of her her time on this planet, uh, here we are 40 years later, still talking about her, mm-hmm. and, and and the gifts she gave everyone. It's a wonderful book for people of loss, and again of loss depending on them, <laughs> you know, because we can't judge what the equivalent loss is for someone. But for anyone who has not read the book or uh, seen the movie, uh, I haven't ruined it for you, <laughs> because some people re- hearing what I said is, oh, it's a book about death. It really is not. It's, it's a book about hope. And the book continues on after that tragic event to show you that people can survive and they can move forward on things that you would think would stop them cold. Um, hope is a very, very powerful thing, just as we discussed A Smile is. Um, I think it was in Shawshank Redemption, they said, hope is a good thing, maybe the best thing, And no good thing ever dies. And uh, I just think that's a fantastic quote because that's what hope is. It's something to keep us propelling forward. You know, determination is another word for hope. Perseverance is another word for hope. Dedication is another word for hope. It's it's what keeps you moving forward in life. And it's something that
1: I eventually learned... (laughs) To, to accept and embrace. That is very deep and powerful and moving. So thank you for sharing that, David. And uh, our hope with the Keep Smiling movement is that it is a daily dose of hope because we feel that stories like the one your mom is sharing, that was inspired technically by you and your friend, are, uh, are delivered and I, I met a, a woman who's a DJ and she has a, a black t-shirt and on the front of it, it, says hope deliver. And, uh, I, I, I wanted to do these books where we had just one author, one message and one journey of someone that overcame whatever they had to overcome and, and did some really amazing things with their world, uh, with their life as a leader, bringing community, bringing love, and of course bringing hope and smiles. So I hope, uh, I hope that you take it upon yourself, especially since you're a writer, to share this journey that you've ha- had. Because our goal is to have 100 books sent to the media stations, and basically people can just download one of these key smiling books and get their daily dose of hope. Because it's about a 10 or 15 minute, quote unquote, TED talk of of a journey and a purpose, and then of course uh, a deliverable proof that they actually are making a difference in the world. So th- this is awesome. Uh, have you written a book yet?
3: Yeah, thanks for picking on me. Um, no, I have not. And uh, the reason for that uh, is, is kind of simple and and kind of selfish, I guess, is uh, I've written oh, many, many plays and many, many right. uh, screenplays, but both those are established with a uh, regulated format. And so there's a lot of spacing in between lines and dialogue and stuff like that. So if you ever took a um, play or screenplay and removed all of the spacings and the way the format is for dialogue and just made it straight, you know, single line, uh, single spaced, straight wording, it comes up to about 25 or 26 pages. Whereas a novel (laughs) tends to be anywhere from 250 to 400 pages. And that just absolutely terrifies me, because I just don't know if I'm that creative uh, to do that. Um, you know, <laughs> with, with, a, with a play, you say they enter the living room, and you spend like, I don't know, two or three sentences describing the living room. Right. Uh, and the same with uh, a screenplay, you say, interior, living room, day. So now you know lights coming in through the windows, and you may spend a sentence describing that. But in both cases, it's really up to the set designer to fill those living rooms. It's really up to um, the audience or the cinematographer to, you know, look at the angle. However, in a novel, you can spend half a chapter describing that living room. And that that's the real challenge is, for me at least, is to actually be able to use that many words. It, it absolutely terrifies me. Now, to say, will I never write a book? I, I won't say that. Um, it's... It's sort of like a marathon. I've been talking about writing a marathon, running a marathon for about 40 years. I have yet to do one. I'm not saying I'm not going to do it, but uh, it's <laughs> going to be a challenge. And that's right. certainly what writing a book would do, be as well.
1: Well, I would love to help. If I can, because I have found the book process to be less intimidating and you are welcome for me picking on you. But please know that if I'm picking on you, this is actually (laughs) because I really would love to read what you just shared with me and also market and amplify and inspire people. And I guess the thing I could tell you that's a lot meaner than picking on you is to make you feel guilty for not inspiring people with stuff that's so inspirational. How about that for (laughs) a throw Oh, that
3: really is picking on me. Okay,
1: well. I'm yeah glad so laying uh, down well, the key smiling book chapter dash exclusive uh story in the book is two thousand to four thousand words, and we don't care if you add extra spaces and lines to make it look like a bigger story that's that's fine with us <laughs> but but the the point is what you had to share what you did share and were kind enough to share is exactly the the inspirational pill uh, of hope that we want to deliver as often as possible. And there's so many aspects of what you were just sharing in that little time that it actually could be transcribed and you are probably a good 50% plus done. But um, we have called this Keep Smiling book kind of the training wheels to getting a book done. Because if you think about it, someone that's never done a book before, but they write their journey and they write how that journey caused them to come up with a purpose-driven life that has proof that it actually works to create abundance, solve world problems, and inspire hope. Well, golly gee, when you finish that, you go, you know what? That wasn't that bad. And I remember <laughs> doing my first book when I was in uh, 2008. I was, it was because my mom passed of Alzheimer's. And when she passed, I remembered a 30-year promise I'd made to myself that I'd write a book one day. I said, you know what? My mom's just proven life is finite. And it's precious. And I'm going to get to it. And it took me 13 months to do. Rewrote it a couple times. But after I got that done, I started, honestly... Pounding books out every three to six months, and I'm at 26 books, and I, I owe it all to my mom believing that anything is possible, but also giving her life to actually show how precious they are. And you know what you shared in your message is exactly that too. Wow,
3: 26 books. That, that now, yeah, that's and, impressive. I gotta say
1: that's uh, that. Yeah, but uh, think about I, this. I can just like your mom. I was gonna say, David, just like your mom, if if she hadn't sold any you know you can write a book just for yourself you can write it just for your son you can write it for the people you love and so my books at best have probably done 40,000 books i mean it's it sounds like a big number but it's not when you consider 26 books so i haven't lit the world on fire yet but I am determined to inspire it. <laughs> so I will, I will continue to write and I will send you some of the books. And I, I'm always excited to share a book that would actually inspire someone to share their heart and their mind and their wisdom. So I, I hope it does that. And I would, I sincerely wish that you would consider a two to three hour investment, if not less because of what you just shared on the radio show, just to knock a book out and see what it does to sh- shape the world to be better.
3: How about that? Well, you, you definitely are propelling me forward. I can say that because my dog just stares at me. She never says, <laughs> you know, you need to work on your book. So, so well, it, it, it's, good to, it's good to have a human actually tell me I should be doing something.
1: So. Well, I, I know that uh, Shawshank Redemption is one of my favorite movies, which we were just giving sign after sign that I'm supposed to be picking on you as, as you said it. <laughs> so we're going to be doing some uh, rapid fire at the end of this segment, but I wanted to. I don't know if Andre has a question ready, but I have a couple more, Andre, are you there.
2: I am here. I do have a question. You know, we had talked about you being a stuntman and an actor in the past, and your ability to now step back into that, and I wanted you to talk about that. If, you know, you're so uh, genuine in sharing your fear of going back into that world, and I'd love you to talk about that.
3: Sure. Um, as I mentioned, I was, a, I was an actor a stuntman, and then I said to my wife, you know, I'll, I'll take care of the kids, and uh, because it was so easy, and... As we've already talked about my my, my height loss, but uh, believe it or not, I wasn't able to do the weight loss. No, I'm I'm kidding. I'm in fairly decent shape. <laughs> but um,
1: did but you lose, years, did you lose Did you lose height?
3: Did you really lose height? that? <laughs> did, did you <laughs> well, lose yeah, any so height? I went from six I went from six nine to five eight just raising those boys. That's what I'm saying. But uh, <laughs> but but uh, so years have passed, and I'm in a big banker's town uh, right outside New York City. So. The, the, the joke was all these guys on the train would see me at the playground and they just assumed I was an out-of-work banker. And so, you know, they'd just go, man, that guy's just not working. So they'd come home and tell their wives, that guy is seen the playground, you know, when's he going to get a job? <laughs> and, of course, all the women, they're like, that's Dave Patterson. He's a writer. He, he works from home. He, he's a stay-at-home. And they're like, oh, okay, that would explain it because if he'd been out of work for that long, that would be crazy. <laughs> so that's why I would take the kids to the playground and one day there was a gentleman with his kids, and he said, uh, "What do you do?" And I say, "Well, I was an actor and a stunt man, but you know now I'm a writer, and I'm trapped at home with these two little hooligans." I'm I'm joking, of course. Love the boys. Um, and uh, he goes, well, "You're a stunt man. I'm a stunt coordinator. You got to come out and play." And just a quick aside: um, to get work as a stunt man, you have to actually get to know stunt coordinators. Because they're the one who read the script, meet with the uh, director, and find and decide what stunts need to be done for that movie. And then they go to their Rolodex of, of stuntmen that they know uh, to choose them for what specific stunt needs to be done. Like, I'm not a motorcycle uh, rider, but they do have guys that ride motorcycles. Um, I have driven some cars, but I don't turn over cars, so they have guys to do that. So he said... Why don't you come out and play? And I said, you know what? I would love to, but if I bust my knee, I can't take Decker to mommy, and me. And since I'm the uh, sole guy at home, my wife travels about 200, 200 225 days a year. Jeez. I said, uh, I just, I can't leave the kids at this point. Just give me a couple more years. He said, sure. Uh, so a couple more years passed, and the kids were now um, in grade school. And I said, okay, I'll come out and play. And he threw me right into the business, right off. It was, it was great. Um, I grew up around the water, so initially I did a lot of water safety work, which means if you ever see some actor in a rowboat in a movie, just off camera, there's three or four different boats. There's one, obviously, for the camera crew and the director, but also if someone goes in the water, you also have a boat with a diver, and then also you have a, a chase boat, just to, to if they need to go get someone on shore or get get more supplies, and so I did a lot of that on several big films and TV shows, Um, but my greatest gig ever was I was cast um, to be Robin Williams' stunt double in one of his last films, and although I'm slightly taller than him, we have the same basically square-shaped head and shoulder-to-hip ratio, and since you never see my face, as long as we're dressed the same and I'm falling down, you just assume... That's Robin Williams. And I worked alongside him for uh, over three weeks. Every day, you know, we had to be uh, done up in the makeup room to look very, very similar with the hairstyle and, you know, costumes, clothing and such. And it was a real gift uh, to work with him. He had always been a bit of an idol of mine. And although the first thing you don't say is you are an idol of mine, You, you play it casual, you shake hands and chat. But he was a wonderfully warm, genuinely friendly individual, and uh, you know I was devastated about his passing. Mm -hmm. Um, But as as we talked about earlier, you know he made everyone smile. But I think there were times when there was no one to make him smile, which is a, a real real shame. You know, a lot of artists that's their job is to entertain others, but when they find themselves alone. There's no one to entertain themselves. And there's a lot of downtime
1: of unhopefulness, I think, with a lot of performers. Well, to end on, I guess, a, a little pleasant note, uh, you still haven't washed your hands since you shook his hand, right?
3: No, I haven't. No, I haven't. And I actually uh, <laughs> asked for autographs, which you never do. And uh, he wrote two <laughs> wonderful autographs with pictures uh, for my boys, who um, both oh, nice. prou- probably have him on their
1: walls. And so uh, let me, I, I right. was gonna say, I, I was just envisioning you saying, Hey Robin, listen, I'm not an idol of you're not an idol of mine, but uh if I will promise you if we shake hands I'll never wash it again. <laughs> yeah.
3: I, 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 you know what just to make this work out that's exactly you know what happened um i, I never told my wife that because she makes me wash my hands regularly but uh, so i just go into the bathroom come out said yep all washed all done
1: sounds so. like my six-year-old son he is he is so quick with that and you know what you know what gets it though i mean it, it's not a full-fledged uh fib you say well let me smell your hands and they're like i was just kidding and then he goes in and washes his hands for real but um, we're going to go to break right now. This is uh, Ken with the amazing Amplified and David Patterson and our our producer Andrea adams Miller. We'll be right back. And this has been brought to you by the Key Smiling Movement.
0: To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. We also would love to hear from you via email to info at umbrellasyndicate.com. Now, back to Amplify.
1: All right, so we are back. This is Ken Roshan and Amplified with uh, the producer, the producer and publicist, Andre Adams Miller, who is working diligently to cover the United States of America, capture those smiles, and be the executive director of the Key Smiling Movement. And I got to tell you, Getting these amazing guests on the show is just what the doctor ordered, because this is hope-inspired every single week with two amazing guests, and we have our second guest coming right up. So why don't you introduce her, please, Andrea?
2: absolutely. So Maya McNulty, I've had the pleasure of being at multiple conferences throughout the years. She's an award-winning cable lifestyle program host that's been on the air for over seven years, reaching over 2 million households and seen in more than 19 counties throughout New York State. She's helped nonprofits raise millions of dollars using fundraising secrets that propel them to the level of ninja master in the art of fundraising. And Ken and I are ready to become ninjas. And fundraising and technology as a fundraising and technology maverick. She's designed and launched a mobile application on where to shop and dine, which promotes small businesses and helps to alleviate childhood hunger. She has worked with thousands of people for more than 20 years, creating opportunities for entrepreneurs as one of the most respected Business branding strategist, coach, marketer, podcaster, best selling author, and speaker in America. And she has created spectacular events and been recognized and received numerous awards for her career achievements and philanthropic work. Thank you so much, Maya, for being here with us with Always a Smile.
4: Amazing. Hello, my people. <laughs> Everybody that smiles is my people. So I, I see we Dave. See is he still there? Can you he hear us? Hello. Yes. Hello, wasn't Ken. A, hey, Andrea.
1: Wasn't that a great event we just did?
4: Amazing. You know, I'm fired up. I'm amplified.
1: <laughs> I'm glad you I'm, are. You certainly I'm are. amped,
4: I'm amped, amped up. You guys, every time I see you, uh, I, I go to a whole new caliber of a human being. You guys bring out like the most amazing smiles and people. I want to be like those people and just make the world happy and better. And that's what you guys are doing. It's, you know, I was a Girl Scout leader for five years. Didn't really want to be, but nobody else wanted the position, so I was appointed. And, you know, teaching how to live, um, you know, get, make the world a better place, uh, kind of like the golden rule, right? You want to tell as you'd like, you want to them. Uh, you know, all the fun things. And um, and one of the things that I loved about the Girl Scouts, that's the cookies, was that most of those girls, they became amazing in college now, right? And I've seen them, and they're doing amazing work, and, and they're carrying on making the world a better place. So you guys are doing the same thing, and it's so good to be here today.
1: Well, thank you, Maya. And, you know, that goes so far when you're talking about leadership, because so many people, when they see someone on stage and they're doing all these amazing things, they don't realize that these people were in the seats in the audience at one point being inspired by another leader. So everyone has that ability, that opportunity to set the ignition switch and say, you know what, I'm not going to play at this level. And this level may be quote unquote, one hundred percent in their mindset yesterday, but it may not be anymore if they actually want to play a game full out, which is life. and it's it's life uh, with impact. And the kind of impact that we were talking about at that event was how we actually shape the world so it's inspired, so it's positive, loving, and abundant. And I wanted to give you an opportunity. Did you uh, get to hear all of well, whether you heard all of Davids is there anyone you want to comment on David's segment?
4: David's is amazing. Uh, you know, uh, he he shrunk. That's amazing to me. I didn't know a man does that until like <laughs> his sixties, eighties. He's that old. Uh, well, so, no, he's he, amazing. He, he he he's got such a personality. I think he should be a comedian.
1: <laughs> well, he hasn't told the whole truth. He's been he's been losing almost an inch a week. So, um, we're fearing that he better get his book out before he's four foot nothing. So. That's what I
4: agree. For. I'm surprised that he doesn't have a book. That is just ridiculous. You know, I was going to comment on that. I don't know if you know You Squared, the book You Squared by Prince Pritchard. That, that book is only 34 pages long. Let me check here. Let me check. 35. I stand corrected. 35 pages. Come on now. <laughs> Screenplay, he, skim it out. Thirty-five pages, and that book is in, is a legend. It's it's a route, high-velocity formula multiplied by personality effectiveness and quantum leap. Come on now.
1: Well, my I don't. <laughs> he can do it. He has
4: a, he's got excuses.
1: <laughs> well, my I, I don't usually approve of picking on a guest, and since we've already picked on him once, and this is twice, I think we're almost at bullying. <laughs> so let's keep going. Anything it takes to get David <laughs> to write a book. <laughs> all right, well, let's talk oh. about your journey. so how did uh, how did life begin for you, and what at what point did you actually say, "You know what? I know what I want to be when I grow up, and get, give me all that good stuff?"
4: Oh goodness. well, thanks again for having me on the show. It's always a pleasure, and thank you for let, allowing me this time. I, I really feel blessed. so I um I don't know, guys. you know, we, I kind of was going in this mispass. Pot of stuff, and what's my want? What's my superpower? And I don't know if many people. I mean, maybe I'm so different that I'm the only one that's going through this. But uh, when I graduated college, I thought, okay, I studied fashion merchandising and design. And now, if I live in Albany, New York, there's not much of a mecca of fashion here in. Albany, New York. So I studied in um, Boston. I went to a London, Paris, and Rome. I went to New York City and studied, got a bachelor's in uh, marketing and fashion design, and studied in London, Paris, and Rome again. And I thought, I'm going to travel the world and design bikini wedding dresses on cruise ships because I wanted to travel the world. And this is how what I thought I was going to do, get on a cruise ship and do it and make wedding dresses. Well, that never happened. I ended up uh, getting a job working for State Farm because I couldn't find a job here in Albany, New York, and I ended up working for the people that insured me, uh, my parents' car insurance people, and I'm not going to name any names because I want people to kind of do the back work, and uh, so I worked there for about 18 months, and I got fired because I was basically an overproducer. I um, would get in there, get my stuff done, you know, I was really good at sales back then. I would uh, say you came in for an automobile insurance, I'd sell you motorcycle even if you didn't have one yet. And I would also sell you homeowners and renters and life insurance, like the whole cabang. I'd make like, killer money being um, an insurance uh, worker. I wasn't a broker, but I worked in the office. Um, And then after 18 months, I got fired. I went on unemployment for about a year and New York state has this women business council and you could write with the SBA, you could write a business plan and the SBA would g- guarantee that you'd be able to get a loan, like a bank would back you so that you can get a loan Well, being out of college, the only loan I ever got was a student loan and um, still paying that back. And so not getting much money from unemployment. So I said, you know what, I'm going to do this and I'm going to start a boutique. I'm going to do recycled repurpose clothes. Now, okay, there's no fashion trending in Albany. There's, um, like, I have limited money to buy resources and rent and stuff. So I ended up uh, just collecting vintage clothes for over a period of time. I called the store Vintage Boutique. No, in my little community, nobody bought. They, they're like, mm, we don't understand used clothes. But now you look around today, everybody's wearing something used and something vintage. If it's not vintage, it's not cool. So I was ahead of my time then, I'd have to say. <laughs> I changed the um, N and the T to LL. Made a village boutique, and I took off. I made like I had shoppers and people traveling coming to my store. I had I was a personal shopper, and like just exploded. So women were starting to come into my dress shop about a year and a half later, and I I was like, "What are you ladies doing?" And they said, "Oh, we own, uh, we're going to Curves. Curves for women franchise." Now I was like, "What the Curves for women?" Now, most of your listeners, if they're female, it was the first time women gym goers were coming from couch to 5K, strength training, 30 minutes, chain stations now. Yeah, I don't know, Andrea, if you're familiar with that. And uh, it was the first time. And then, you know, we were $29 a month. But then the other gyms ca- caught on. So there was nothing proprietary really about it except the fact that it was a 30-minute circuit. And uh, we basically lost our shirts on that. When you purchase the franchise, you had to purchase two or more. I ended up purchasing two, Schenectady and Albany, New York, in my hometown. And within three years, it did amazing. I had to close the dress shop because I was spread thin. I was, uh, I had a newborn. And in a matter of eight years, I went from living high on the hog to like uh, almost food stamp bankruptcy. Uh, it was the scariest time. I didn't know how to control money. I was very young. I was 20, um, 20 six, seven, eight at the time, millionaire by 30, broke by 31. It was amazing how this, like at 20 employees, you know, the cost of taxes and uh, workers comp, it just, I didn't know how, because I was young with money. You know, we well, as leaders, we talk about second. leader, right?
1: Yeah, let me cut in there because that's that's so important. A lot of people have to go through their failures in order to learn that life lesson that they didn't know or that business lesson they didn't know in order to incorporate in the future. So, talk about uh, what it was that uh, looking back that actually happened and what you learned from it and how you have adjusted.
4: So when I was about 26, 27, um, I didn't know really, I wasn't taught how to manage money. I wasn't taught as a kid leadership skills and they fail that in school, I believe, you know, I don't think that they teach kids that today. And no. um, <clears throat> I had to, uh, seek uh, advice from lawyers. I had a building go into foreclosure. I like it's at the time I was embarrassed because my name was in the papers. Uh, people called me up. I belonged to the chamber of commerce. I was leading businesses how to be successful businesses, but yet my business was failing. Members called my my the chamber president up and said, "How can you have her represent the chamber that she doesn't know how to?" Represent, you know, like her building just went in foreclosures, my tenants, um, this really true embarrassment. What what, what what can I say about that?
1: Maya, Maya, what was causing it? Because you were successful in so many other areas.
4: I bought a franchise that was a fad. um, And I should have picked that up one because I studied fashion. It was a fad. It was a 30-minute circuit. You know, I didn't do the homework. I looked at it like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Let me jump all in. I went all in, not doing the back work. Uh, looking at something being this ph- phenomenal opportunity, let's take it like an ice cream cone, right? I'm going to say, "Okay, I'm going to have three scoops," right? But geez, if I don't expend that energy, it's going to turn all into fat on my stomach for years, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I didn't <clears throat> do the backstory. I did the back work. I didn't learn the moderation of it all, and um, so you didn't and vet it, the it, opportunity.
1: Just, you, you, I mean, I basically had you t- you didn't vet the opportunity. Had you talked to any other franchise? E. Uh, uh, that had had it for more than a year, you would have had a little bit of an inkling that this was not proven yet. Is that kind of a way of putting it?
4: Uh, Sort of, and no, because they were in their prime. Everyone was getting their hands on it. So, for example, I I was one of the original franchisees, and because we were all drinking the Kool-Aid and thinking it was just such an amazing time we got more people to sign up and more people to sign up like the, you know, the first 20, 30 people. So they went the caliber. Let me just uh, tell you the caliber of this. They went from like a hundred to a thousand to like 10,000 franchises in a short period of time, like three, four, five years and then went international. So people just thought I had to get in, right? Like, if you think you're the one of the cool kids, then everybody's going to think you're one of the cool kids, right? So sure. the franchise, every, all the cool kids thought this was the cool kid franchise, so everybody won in. And, um, and what it did is it took life savings from teachers that worked for, this was their pension and their retirement. So now they're like working probably at uh, Home Depot trying to make the ends meet or bagging groceries at the grocery line because the curves really stripped us of our dignity, of our finances, even marriages failed you know i fought with my husband for almost 4 years <clears throat> for 4 years almost in fact we even split up um and no one would have thought that and no not too many people do but they do now that i said it on your show so, <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> but we we went to counseling i mean it was it was bad it was ugly but the one thing i i had a new child at a child at the time and i um i didn't want her to change her life So we just worked extra hard and uh, pulled our savings and sold stuff and just tried to make ends meet. So yeah, that was a real uh, time in my life. But I was trying to think of when I took a year off, most people thought I was retired because, you know, I lived so high on the hog and have an amazing home and husband and family and stuff, amazing vacations. And so people just think like, that's the facade of it all. Like everything should be okay. You know, she's doing really well and, Social media makes you look like you're doing really well, and so you just people you show them your your scar but not your wound, you know. Sure, And important to note: show them your scar, not your wounds, because nobody wants you to vomit in their faces about everything.
1: You know, uh, I wanted to. Comment yeah, it's like that your smile. I wanted Andrea to. Uh, she wanted to ask you a question. Are Andrea, there. Well, maybe not. Okay, so I thought she had one for you, but I wanted to give you a compliment sure. that when you were so- when you were selling insurance, um, and you sold me stuntman insurance. I wasn't even a stuntman. I was like, wow, that is amazing that I'm buying something I have no need for. So congratulations on that sale that you made on me.
4: <laughs> yeah. Oh, you got it. I was amazing. <laughs> I, I was really good. This is, this is why actually it. Ha- I always say, Ken, it's happening for me, not to me. Um, when I got fired for being an overproducer, um, I cried. I even called up the um agent's husband and I'm like, I thought I did a really great job. They came to my <laughs> um, anniversary, um, uh, engagement party, you know, I, I was just like, I thought we were friends. I thought we were family. Like I I was so devastated. I'd never been really like let go from a position that I was really good at before. I've been fired from jobs before, but never something that I was like really good and 18 months into. But, um, I I thought it was for me, but then I realized it's happening for me, not to me and a good lesson to learn at a young age. And, uh, I um, took that year off, wrote my business plan, opened the dress shop, grew out of that dress shop, went from 800 square foot to 1200 square foot. Women were coming in, bought two franchise, bankrupt by 30, foreclosure <laughs> by 30, took a year off. People thought I was retired. And then I'm like, okay, what will Maya do? What does Maya want? And I started to say, well, you know what? I want to help nonprofits. I want to help businesses. I want to put them where they never feel disposable, like I felt disposable. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I wrote a one-page business plan because now I still don't take myself seriously because I've gotten so many failures already. They're like stacking up, right? And um, uh, so I said, all right, let's do something. They, they struggle with advertising. I have a marketing degree. Let me try to get a job in marketing and help them. Well, no one would hire me because my skills were obsolete. I had a franchise for 10 years. And so all my marketing, all my back schooling was all obsolete. And I I had to reinvent myself and relearn marketing. And today's marketing, you know, the social media, the omnipresence of marketing. And people feel like I've been doing it forever. But honestly, it's only been like six years that I totally said Maya's all in. And I got great leadership and mentorship from like Russell Brunson and, uh, you know, Sharon Bernstein being my mentor. I've gotten so many amazing people in my circle that I surrounded myself by. And I started to show up and show up in just a big way. And, um, you know, I met you guys, Eric Swanson, and just so many amazing people. And I'm so grateful. And I'm filled with so much gratitude. And like I said, every time I see you guys, I can't help but smile because you've turned my life around, whether you, you think so or not. But just that smile, that energy, that refocus puts you in that amplified mode. So, so I'm grateful
1: you. to you guys for that. Well, I wanted you to put it. things in perspective a little bit here. So you shared a, a lot of trauma, failure, and really uh, probably a lot of angst and, um, gosh, disappointment. So I would I want to ask you like really quick, quick questions because I want to go rapid fire. So if you hadn't gone through that, would you be successful with what you're doing right now?
4: You know what? I have to say that it's, because of becoming a mother is, I, I don't know that part. I think that how becoming a mother, see, when I was pregnant with my daughter, I had such medical complications with her that the doctor actually told me to abort her. And I just didn't know how to take all of that. I went for second and third and fourth opinions. And uh, they told me she's going to have medical defects and birth defects and Down syndrome or whatever. So I said, now that she's 19 in college thriving, I said, it's my turn to give back. So I wrote a couple of books. And um, I I think that that's what changed me more. Everything else was just part of a journey uh, and mm-hmm. a part of a story. But uh, really, I think it's, it's because of where I was when I was in uh, 1999, 2000, when I was pregnant with my kid. And I think that time, you know, because you're so like captured in time that you don't realize like this is what's setting me up. It's happening for me, not to me. And now I know what my true life purpose is. Um, and I can bring those other stories with me. So for, to answer your question, I think that how my, my pregnancy is what, um, and not like the Catholic charities. Yeah. That reached out to me. So all those things are great that happened, uh, to me because they created who I'm creating to be today. However, sure. it was being a mom that really changed it.
1: Well, I want to go to rapid um, fire right now, but I want yeah, to give it an it. opportunity since he was a, since he was a daddy. And you're a mommy that actually created all this amazing stuff. David, are you are you there? You ready? Okay. Hopefully he's going to be back on because I but, want to do rapid fire. Yeah,
3: I would like to add that yes. My, yes. Go ahead, my, my, my life was always because of zipping here and zipping there and worried about the failure and success. The grounding was my two boys. I, I had committed to raise them. We did not want to go through the nanny uh, process, which – in our town is pretty much the go-to situation. Um, I wanted to, to be uh, the father that... I love my father, but he wasn't always around. So I wanted to be the father that I wanted my father to be. And I was going to work as hard as I could to raise two boys. So when things went wrong, uh, either personally or professionally, I knew what my priority was. Now, I'm not trying to tell everyone to go out and have kids, because that's not the goal here. But just as Maya said, it, it, it was a grounding force that helped me get through some really tough times.
1: Um, well, I'm going to tell you what's going to be yeah. really tough, David. What's really going to be tough, David, is we're going to go through rapid fire in two minutes, which we normally have four minutes. So I'm gonna, I am going to—I really want to ask these questions to both of you. So just hear them and say the answer back as quick as possible, okay? Absolutely. So yeah. we'll, start with you, Dave. we'll start with you, David. Book to change your life. Okay. Books that, change I'm your book books that, that changed, changed your life.
3: Sorry? A book that changed your life. my life? Well, I have to say, one of the very first books I, I read, Where the Wild Things Are. It told, helped me to that
1: dream. that. amazing. Maya?
4: Well, definitely the books that I've written, Fundraising Secrets, um, you can go there and get Fundraising Secrets, and my favorite quotes for But one is Expert Secrets by Russell Brunson. Expert, ex, expert Secrets, definitely.
1: All right, and we're going to go to, since we just saw Wish Man at the uh, event, um, a movie or two that inspires you, David? A movie or two that inspires me? Uh,
3: mm-hmm. Well, I have to say I really enjoyed Wishman Man very much, and since I was the only person on the panel that was not involved with Make a Wish, uh, I, I looked into <laughs> it immediately and had to jump on board. Um, but, uh, geez, uh, the first movie that made me want to be an artist was Lawrence Arabia. I saw it on a small black and white TV. And then a movie that gave me hope, as crazy as it sounds, is La La Land, because it shows that you can dream and, and reach
1: the stars. Beautiful. Maya?
4: All right. I love the movie Grease. I think Olivia Newton-John is amazing and Don Travolta, and I want to fit in those skinny black jeans, that, um, those, those leather pants from Olivia Newton-John and play out that scene someday. So I might know a, a movie producer, David, <laughs> yeah. Put me in those jeans.
1: <laughs> All right. Final question uh, is a quote that you live by, David.
3: Quote that I live by.
1: It's in Latin. Quod sparrow. I look forward to what I hope to become. I was going to say, do not translate, but it's oh. too late. You already translated. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, Maya. Maya uh, your favorite quote one, and do not translate. Well you
4: no, know, the one. I, yeah, <laughs> the one I really love is uh, by Henry Ford: "Whether you think you can not or you think you can you're right. Amen. So whether you think you can so, or you think you can't, you're right.
1: Henry Ford. So both of you have amazing stories that will inspire the world so much beyond this Amplified show and, and the, the conference room there. And I know you guys are constantly sharing uh, what you're about and trying to inspire people. But I want to actually add to that by offering the Keep Smiling book as a holiday gift to you that we can share with the world. So uh, we are going to be offering all 100 of the Keep Smiling book's as holiday gifts that you can uh, give to other people so we can have a much better 2020 I had so many more questions for you guys so we may ask those questions in the thread and you can answer them so we can uh, have the show even more robust and even possibly add to your chapter so this is Ken Roshan with Amplified and on Voice America and my co-producer is Andre Adams Miller with Red Carpet Connection and we are so excited the Keep Smiling movement keeps us going and Amplified so we'll see you next week Keep Smiling